just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer podcast in the thick of the weekend. Not a lot happening in the news because things slowed down considerably during the weekend. We're going to talk about some of the things happening in the news today uh, in just a moment. I, I just want to give you fair warning that the second half of this podcast is going to be a departure from what you normally hear on the show. We're normally talking politics. We're talking government. We're talking about news and that sort of thing. The second half, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something totally different. And I'll explain it to you when we get to the second half, but I just wanted to give you that warning ahead of time. So there is some things going on this weekend, and uh, probably the biggest news story of Saturday was a little excitement in Atlanta, the Atlanta airport to be exact. Now, the authorities there are saying uh, there was an accidental discharge of a weapon, meaning a gun was shot, a bullet was fired in the Atlanta airport. And I'll tell you how this story goes to the best of my knowledge anyway, the information I've heard to date. Apparently, there's a gentleman going up into the security area, the TSA section of the Atlanta airport, getting ready to ultimately get to his gate. As his luggage, his suitcase, goes through the x-ray, as we all know all of ours do, um, they see something irregular in that suitcase. So they pull the man and the suitcase aside, and they go to like a secondary area where they're going to dig a little deeper into this situation. So they get over to this location, still in the TSA security area, And they open up the suitcase. They start digging around, and there it is, a gun sitting there. But now the moment the gun is exposed, the passenger, the owner of that suitcase, lunges. And that's what they say. He lunges for the pistol. Now, of course, as he's lunging for the pistol, the TSA agent is trying to grab the pistol, so there is no issues. And, of course, a scuffle ensues. And somehow... Some way, that gun fires. Fires a real bullet. Now, the gentleman who lunged for the gun, who owned the case, who owned the the gun in the case, somehow got away. I mean, he just ran. He took off, as criminals do. And uh, apparently they didn't catch him. I don't know if they have him now. They weren't too worried about it because they knew the man's name, his address, his phone number. They knew everything because they had a plane ticket with all that information on it. Now, fortunately, when this gun was fired, nobody was hit with the bullet. So that's the good news. But the problem is it created kind of a mess in that airport. I mean, try to imagine this. We've all been in airports. You're walking along and Things are going well. You're planning your trip to Hawaii or Florida. You're going to get on the plane soon. You're kind of excited, maybe a little stressed out. We've got all this extra security because we're worried about terrorism. And as you're walking along, maybe to get a Starbucks or something, you hear gunfire, a shot. Well, needless to say, this is going to freak people out. They're immediately going to think 9-11. They're going to think terrorists. They're going to think insurrectionists. They're going to think Trumplicans who don't want to put on their fucking mask because it's gotten very, very adversarial in the airports these days. So when people hear the gunshot, they start running around. They're confused, bumping into people, bumping into other things. And in that process, in the confusion... Three people were injured. I don't know the extent of the injuries and how serious they are, but they were injured because everybody's going nuts. But my question is, we've all gone through airports, and we know how tight security is. There is no way anybody with common sense can even imagine carrying a gun in a suitcase and just walking through security and having them let you go. I have relatives that work in the airline industry. 
And that's one of the first things they ask you if there's any question about it before you even get to the gate, before you even get to security. You can't have a gun in a carry-on suitcase or backpack or anything like that. You can't. For obvious good reasons. I mean, we have people getting in fist fights because they don't want to wear a mask on the fucking plane. They know they have to wear the mask. They know what's going to happen if they don't wear the mask. And then they get picked up, dragged off the plane, and taken to the police department. But still, they do it. Somehow, they fucking do it. And now it's the same with guns. You're going to the airport. You have a suitcase. You got your underwear, your animals, your Spider-Man underwear, and your Glock pistol in there. Now, some people will say to you, oh, I didn't know it was there. I forgot. What, you didn't pack your suitcase? You knew very well that fucker was in there. And not only was it in your suitcase, the goddamn thing was loaded. Now, who carries around in a suitcase a loaded gun? You could almost understand it if it wasn't loaded and it was just there. But you got it in the case and it's loaded. What are we to presume you are going to do? With all the Trumplicans and all the insurrectionists and shit, you got to believe this clown was going to do something stupid. Well, he did do something stupid. He actually thought he was going to get this suitcase on the plane. He thought he was going to get through TSA. Now, there was no way in hell he was going to do that. And, and of course, he got caught, and thankfully so. My question is, why is this happening? Because, you know, the TSA said something uh, after the report on this, uh, this incident. They said they are seeing more guns in the security gate area than ever before. More guns. Again, we all know you're not going to get a gun through security. So why are all these people putting guns in their suitcases and trying to carry them on the planes? Well, it's my feeling that when Donald Trump took office, this country changed dramatically. I mean, there's always been arguments about politics and such. There's been arguments about all kinds of things. Uh, That's nothing new in this country. But when Donald Trump came in, he specifically went out of his way to divide this country, the good guys against the bad guys. Now, of course, in Donald Trump's mind, the good guys are the Trumplefucks who are the insurrectionists. He's wrong, but for his usage, they are the good guys. And the only way he can keep the good guys on his side is keep them scared. Tell them that those liberals, those Democrats, are trying to turn this country into communism, socialism. They're trying to come after you. They're coming for you. That's what he said. That's what he always said. So now we have a country that's full of fear. Donald Trump inspired fear in this country. You got the base that follows Donald Trump. They think they're going to save the country. They think they're the heroes. That's why they caused the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. They didn't see themselves as terrorists or criminals. They thought this crazy pedophile communist cabal was taking over the country. And they were going to be like the liberators in a war where they would kick out the bad guys and take over the country and keep it safe and under their control. They were convinced of that because Donald Trump told them. And the only reason they bought into it is because Donald Trump used the one thing that works on fucking everybody. Fear. Because when they start causing fear in these people... They stop the critical thinking, if they are even capable of that. They stop the critical thinking, and they react. They make emotional choices. That's why people rush to the U.S. Capitol, break windows, and break in. They were acting out of emotion. And that's what Donald Trump counted on. Now, what Donald Trump, the Trumplicans, and the Republicans have to understand... Fear works like that on everybody, not just their people. So now you have people on the liberal and the Democratic side, or just the normal side that maybe don't affiliate with either one of the parties, 
but they see these terroristic acts. They see people trying to bring guns into airplanes when they know they can. Now they're scared. They're frightened about what might occur when these domestic terrorists do something crazy like today in Atlanta. Well, now they're going to act out of emotions because they're fearful. And that is a recipe for disaster. You get two people standing in front of each other, angry and fearful, and thinking they are the ones that are right. You can almost guarantee there's going to be a fucking fight. No question about it. They're going to fight. So, Somehow this has to be fixed. We can't have this continually happening at the airport. We can't continually have this happening with neighbors next door to one another, within families. The problem with the the, the Republicans and the Trumplicans is they amp it up a little bit more. Say I'm in a room, me more liberal, and some Trumplican, and we're just talking about sports or weather or what have you. It's all going good. He may like the Detroit Lions, I like the Minnesota Vikings. That's that's a difference, but we can deal with it. We can joke around and talk about it. But here's the problem with the Trumplicans. They have been amped up so much, and they are so fearful that they are going to become irrelevant because of who they are, If they allow the Democrats and the liberals to do what they're going to do, that's why they can't admit that Donald Trump lost the election. How could that be? This is America. The enemy, the evil people won the election in their minds. So they can't even see that it makes any sense. If I'm in a room with a Trumplican, I will get shit if I get in an argument with this Republican. My wife, my kids, whatever, say, why don't you just calm down about it? I said, I'm not upset. I'm not arguing. When you hear me talk to a Republican or a Trumplican, this is exactly how I'm talking. Because I know better than to act out of emotion. I'm going to use my critical thinking. I'm going to use my articulation. I'm going to use my intelligence to debate this person. Up until the time I realize no debate's going to work because they can't comprehend any of this shit. But the problem is, these people on the far right, they cannot help themselves. It's all emotion with them. They cannot help but say something. Try to shove it in your face. Make, your, make their point. So we're having this nice conversation about sports, and then all of a sudden, he brings up Colin Kaepernick and says, well, that fucker was kneeling, and he's a communist, and he, he doesn't like this country. He can get out. Now, what am I supposed to do in that situation? Say, oh, yeah, that's right, or say nothing? I'm sorry, I'm not built that way. If someone says something to me that's um, damaging to this country or just a flat-out lie, I feel compelled to say something. Now, I won't yell and scream at them. I'll talk just like this, and I'll explain to them why they're wrong. Now, the other big problem with these Trumplifucks is They refuse to be wrong. Even though you can prove they're wrong, they refuse it. They will double down and lie more just to make their point. But they never make a point because they're not right and they're not truthful. But this has always been my problem. (laughs) This has always been my problem. My family knows what what I'm like. And if I see somebody say something, I'm going to take them to task. I'm going to do it reasonably and, uh, civilly, but I'm going to push them, and they're going to lose their shit. And sometimes they'll say to me, why did you even do that? I said, well, I had to fucking do it. If you just if you just didn't say anything, it would have been okay. I said, let me see if I understand this correctly. These fuckers can say anything they want. They can lie. They can undermine our democracy in this country, and I'm supposed to be quiet about it. They're yapping away. And they get a pass somehow because I'm supposed to not say something. But when I do say something, instead of being mad at the people that are saying the bullshit, you're mad at the guy who's trying to straighten it out. 
You see, that's the problem here. People will try to tell you that just don't fight with them. Don't debate with them. And I typically don't online because that's just a lose-lose situation. But if you're standing in front of my face and you say something that's absolute bullshit, I'm going to respond, whether it's advisable or not. I feel it's my duty that somebody has to stand up for what's right in this fucking conversation. Clearly, it's not going to be them. So I do. And then people get upset with me because I antagonize these guys. I antagonize these guys. I think not. They're the ones that said the bullshit, the inflammatory shit, the undermining government shit. All I'm trying to do is protect my rights and protect my country. And I'm doing it civilly, not like these motherfuckers. See, that's the problem in people's minds. People are afraid of confrontation, whether it be civilly or hyped up. And I think in this situation, you can't avoid confrontation. People don't feel comfortable with confrontation. For whatever reason, it doesn't bother me. Because if I'm arguing with you about something I know I'm right and I know it's true, I have no problem at all. I'll sit there all day and prove you wrong as long as you can keep your shit together. Usually they can't. But the common thought is that the guy like me should just let it go so we don't have the confrontation. The trouble is, this is a much bigger deal than a personal thing between me and this guy. This is about our country. And the things he is spewing is covering all over this country. I mean, it's taking over because they control the narrative. They're the loudest. And the dumb people or uninformed people are the ones that are listening to these people. So now we've got more dumb and more uninformed people with the wrong information. That's why we got into this situation. Donald Trump was louder, more boisterous, more blatant. And people said, yeah, that's a good idea. They don't look into it deep enough to understand really what's going on. They just like the high points. So that's the quandary I get in. And I think that's a mistake with our country. At some point, you got to fight for what's true. You got to fight for what's right for this country. You got to fight for your own rights. You got people trying to um, suppress elections, try to overturn governments, create an insurrection against our country. You can't just sit back passively and say, well, that's that's terrible, but uh, I don't want to start anything. Well, maybe we should start some things. Because they've been starting things for four and a half years or more. And they just keep rolling over the top of people. At some point, the Democrats and all of us have to say, fuck this. Fuck this. We're not tolerating it anymore. The things you're saying are ridiculous, embarrassing, and stupid. Sometimes, some way, we've got to push back. Otherwise, this fucking narrative on the Republican side will continue to grow, continue to roll until it rolls over the top of all the people that want to be polite and not say anything. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that you get in fist fights and you yell and scream. But it's important for all of us to be as consistent and as loud as the people talking the shit on the right. So, as I said, this is all about fear, fear of the Republicans and the Trumplicans, uh, afraid of whatever lies they've been told about the left. And the left is fearful because of all the crazy shit the Republicans do. We've got a country engaged in fear, and it's impossible to fix anything or get anything done if everybody's too afraid we really got to focus on that. You need to fight back. You need to fight back reasonably, not get crazy, not get into fights, not screaming and yelling, but with logic, critical thinking, proof, evidence. All that exists for the people on the left and the liberals or whatever you want to call them. But it's time we start talking about it. 
get it out in the narrative, drowned out these trumplefucks that are spewing this conspiracy stupid bullshit. You want to change what's going on in this country, that's what you got to do. You got to control the narrative. If I'm in a debate or an argument with somebody, first thing I want to do is take control of that conversation by being able to say more, be more accurate, and put them in a position where they can't answer. If you're in a debate or an argument or whatever, you want to control the narrative, right? That's what we need to do in this country. We need to put down the narrative that has been going over and over and over again for five years and take control of it. Change the narrative. Bringing it back to normal. That's the only way we're going to straighten this shit out, unfortunately. But we've got the Democrats who want to be passive. We've got the people in this country that say, oh, just don't start shit because, because it'll just turn into a big fight. Well, I'm not going to turn it into a big fight. Those fucking clowns might because they can't be wrong. And when I prove to them they're wrong, they're going to be going nuts. Well, not my problem. They can go nuts. I'm going to continue to be uh, level-headed and continue pushing forward. Because we must change the narrative in this country. As I said, five years ago, four and a half years ago, whatever it was, this country changed from one thing to another. And what we've changed into is not good for any of us or for the future of this country. Bringing guns to fucking airports. Citing an insurrection on our government. This is all over the top stupid shit. We can't just let it go. We've got to put up some pushback, otherwise it will continue and it will get worse. Something to think about. Now, as I said, we're going to do the next segment, and we're going to do something different. (laughs) Now, if you're only here for the politics, the government, and uh, whatever, the the -the up-to-the-minute news, if that's why you're here, you may want to just bypass the second. I've always said that if you have questions, comments, or complaints, you can send me an email at uh, rationalboomer at gmail.com or uh, go to anchor.fm, go to Rational Boomer, and leave me a voicemail message. And I'd be happy to answer it, which I will, anything you want to talk about. Well, I got a number of of the same question, so I'm I'm going to address that, but it has nothing to do with politics. So hang on. We'll be right back. All right. As I said, I've always asked people for questions, comments, complaints, whatever. You can email me and ask me. And uh, I've gotten a lot of questions concerning this topic. And since it's uh, early Sunday morning, there's not much in news to talk about. I thought I'd take this time to address those in the second half of the podcast. Uh, Maybe boring for you, but I thought I'd just do it get it out there so people understood. Uh, A lot of people ask me about my background, where I'm from, what I did, what I've done, uh, trying to figure out how I came to this particular point in my life at 61 years old. And I'll be honest with you, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and when I listen to people being interviewed or people doing the interview, I'm always curious about history, and I'm curious about the people who are doing what they're doing. I like to know what the background is. For me, that's interesting. For me, you, maybe not so much. But there is enough people out there that have asked me the question about a little background on me so they know who I am when they listen every day on the podcast or on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. So I thought I'd take this last segment. <laughs> and talk about me. Now, I know that sounds arrogant, and maybe it is. And maybe some people will say, you shouldn't do that. Just stick with what you do. Well, as I've said many times, you know me. I don't listen to shit. I'm just going to do what I do. I'll do this one time. And if you ever want to reacquaint yourself with with my background, you can always come back to this podcast, but I'm not going to do it again. Tomorrow we'll have another podcast. We'll be talking about all the politics and all the shit going on, but this time we're going to talk about my background so you can get a sense of who I am, where I came from, and uh, what I've done in order to put me in this position now where I've got people on a podcast and a lot of people on TikTok listening to me. 
I'll try to do it chronologically. That may be the easiest way to do this. So I was born in South Minneapolis, 1960. Just coming out of the 50s. Born 1960, April. Uh, My parents are young. My parents are 20 years old. My parents are 20 years older than I am. So when I'm born, they're 20. Mom's wonderful woman. Very kind of liberal, very sweet, very much a homemaker. I loved her, had a lot of respect for her. She passed away in 2010, and I miss her terribly. My father, that's a different story. My father was a narcissistic, sociopathic, pathological liar. This is why I'm so graded and understand Donald Trump so much. My father was essentially a mini Donald Trump, and I lived with him for 22 years or whatever it was before I got married. Now, what you have to understand about my father, he was an asshole, without question. I won't say we didn't have good times because we did, and I'm not going to suggest I had a bad childhood because I didn't. It was actually pretty good. My father wasn't rich like Donald Trump, but for our neighborhood, he was probably the richest guy in the neighborhood. He was a salesman, he did very well, and he made a lot of money for the area. So we weren't really in need of anything. We always had food, we had clothes, we had toys and stuff like that. So we weren't deprived in any sense. But what we were deprived with is uh, a father. Because my father had no idea how to be a father. It was all about him, all about how much money he made, and why he should control everything with everybody. And that was frustrating. Now, when I'm a young kid, you look up to your dad. He's cool. He's young. He's a good-looking guy. He's making a lot of money. Hey, he's my hero. But as time goes on and you get treated the way you get treated, you say, what the fuck here? What in the actual fuck? My father was racist. He was everything that Donald Trump is, except he was much smarter than Donald Trump, which made him more dangerous, made him harder to deal with. We we went through life, and fortunately, he worked a lot, and he wasn't around as much, so my mom pretty much had control of who we ended up being, and thank God for that. I had grandparents on my mom's side and my father's side, all four, and they were kind of involved with us too. So I had good male role models in my grandfathers because they were wonderful men, and my grandmothers too. So I led pretty good life, and I was allowed to have my head. You know what I mean? I, my, my mom was strict on some things, but she let us go out and kind of experiment and try different things. And... I have uh, a brother who's a year younger than me, a sister that's four years younger than me, and a sister that's 10 years younger than I. Now, my brother and I are simpatico when it comes to um, beliefs and understandings about politics, religion, whatever. We're on the same page. My sisters, not so much. Now, my sister who's four years younger than I was is... Never really got along with her, and now she's a raving trumper with her fucking asshole, um, with her asshole uh, uh, husband, and I don't really talk to them much. I have another sister who's much younger who lives out west, and I don't know if she's a trumper or not. We've always got along really well, so I'm just going to let that lie. I don't see her much, talk to her from time to time. I'm not going to get into any shit with her because there's no point. We're not around each other. She's got her life. I've got my life. Now, in spite of the way my father was, he was abusive to my mom. He cheated on my mom. He did all that stuff. But my mom and he were married up until the day she died in 2010. That said, (laughs) they didn't live together. My dad was out doing whatever he was doing. My mom was left holding the bag many times with my father. So we all kind of took care of my mom, and she did fine until she passed away. My father I haven't seen in 15, 20 years and don't have any desire to see him. He wasn't around much when I was raising my family, and that was by choice, my choice. Not so much that I was trying to deprive him of seeing his grandkids because I knew he didn't give a shit, but I knew wherever my father went, he carried a dark cloud on everything, and I didn't want that impacting my children or my family. So that's the way it went. 
And I literally haven't talked to him for about 20 years and don't have any desire to. Anyway, enough about personal problems. <laughs> anyway, I'm just a kid in the 60s. And you have to understand, when the 60s were going on, it was very tumultuous. You think it's bad now? 60s was crazy. There were four major assassinations. RFK, JFK, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. We had a war going on in Vietnam. We had protests and riots going on all over this country, both for the war and, and civil rights, and even to a certain extent women's rights as well. It was a very fucking tumultuous time. But I'm a kid. I don't know. This seems normal to me because that's all I know. It's kind of like with my dad. My dad was an asshole. Whenever I went to my friend's house, I just assumed that their dads were assholes too. And then when I found out that they weren't, I go, how did I get fucked on this deal? (laughs) So I'm growing up through the 60s. You know, I'm a good student. I'm very respectful, very decent kid. You get to junior high school, and things start to open up. I'm starting to get a little bigger, get in shape, and playing sports, having some success with it. Now my extroverted side is coming out. I'm talking more. And, of course, at 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, I'm a stupid kid. But I still do well in school, and I'm not really having any problems with it at all. Uh, meeting girls, playing sports, and doing all that kind of stuff. The school I went to, in spite of the fact I lived in a good neighborhood, this school was rough. The fact of the matter is is that this junior high school, I saw more negative shit than I ever saw in high school. There were fights like every other day, and they were serious fights. There were drugs all over the school. I remember being in 7th grade and seeing 9th graders uh, bringing everything from hash to window pane to blotter acid to heroin to whatever and it's right there on the lunch table i'm just a little kid i don't know any better i don't know what the fuck that is about eighth grade i start drinking some beer like everybody else does we start going parties i start getting crazy and that's the start of my period when i'm drinking from the time i'm 14 to the time i'm 29 Now, when we were growing up, you're little kids, you get some beer, you don't drink for the taste of it or for the social aspect of it. You drink as much as you can, as fast as you can, so you don't get caught and have them take it away from you. And you drink until you get drunk. And you get away with it when you're 14 because you really can't handle much. You get into high school, now it becomes kind of expected. You get into college, it's crazy. But let me tell you something, when you drink like that and you're 29 years old, It's not cute anymore. (laughs) You've got a family. You've got responsibility. You've got some money. You've got a job. You've got to do something. So when I became 29 years old, I decided, look, man, i got to quit. I can't slow down because I'm just going to keep doing it. Now, I didn't drink every day, but when I drank, I drank hard. So it was maybe once a week, maybe once every couple of weeks. But it was bad when I did it. So I just said, fuck it, I'm going to quit. And surprisingly, I was able to do that. I haven't drank in 32 years. I don't need any great adulation for it because it's not that big a deal. I just stopped. I didn't struggle. I didn't go through DTs or anything. I just fucking quit. And frankly, it was probably the best choice of my life. It allowed me to have some success in my life because had I kept drinking, I wouldn't have had any success. I would have had nothing but disasters. So I'm, I'm proud of that, but I'm happy I made that choice and it worked out pretty well. Now, when I'm in high school, I'm doing all right. Actually, when I'm in junior high school, I'm doing fine. I'm getting good grades. And this group comes, you know, they're talking about all kinds of different careers for you in the future. And this one group comes from a radio station that's owned by the public schools that I'm going to. And it's a magnet program. And they're looking for people to come work on the radio station. And I said, hey, fuck, man. I had no idea I was going to do something like that. But I thought, wow, that's kind of a cool idea. Sounds like easy money. Sounds like an easy job. So I auditioned. I got the job. I got the class. I went to my high school for half the day and went to the radio station for half the day. Got some experience in radio. And that was my exposure, my first exposure to radio. And at first, you really don't know what you're doing. You don't sound very good. You have no clue. You have no confidence. But it took some time. I was there three years, got some experience. As time went on, I got better. Okay. 
<laughs> so anyway, you get through high school. You're partying with your friends. You're getting crazy. And I always tell my kids this. If I was to send you back to the 70s, you would shit yourself. Because the stuff that happened in the 70s was absolutely fucking nuts. Drinking all the time, partying all the time, getting in fights, getting crazy, and never really getting caught or punished for anything. We got away with a lot of shit in the 70s. And uh, I remember when my kids finally left high school. They were in the 90s and the 2000s in school. And they would tell me all these crazy things they did while they were in high school which by my standards weren't exactly crazy, but I'd act like I was appalled and upset. But in my mind, I would be thinking, man, you guys are pussies. <laughs> you didn't do shit. <laughs> That's why I tell millennials all the time, you can be mad at us about a lot of shit, but what you should be mad at us about is ruining it for you. Because by the time we got to be adults, we knew exactly what the fuck time it was, and we clamped down on you bastards so you didn't do the same shit we did. That's what you should be mad about. So anyway, in high school, I'm playing some sports for a little bit. I end up quitting and then focusing strictly on the radio thing. Now, when I graduate from high school, I want to go to college. I mean, back then, everybody had to go to college. That was it. And I was going to go to the University of Minnesota, and I did go there for a period of time. The problem was I really didn't have the money. Which seems strange because I told you my dad made a lot of money. Yeah, he did make a lot of money. But he only paid for the things he wanted to pay for. And he misinformed me so I didn't know any better. And I didn't really want to do all the work of college, but I knew I had to. And I was a goal-oriented kind of kid. So I went to him and I said, I want to go to college. So he gave me some money to go through the first year, which I did do. Now, when you're my father, he makes a lot of money, but he's working on straight commission. Some months are good, some months are bad. And when it comes to going to him for money, it was always problematic. Even though he had a ton of money, he had a closet full of $500 suits and $100 ties and $400 shoes. He had all that shit. He had nice cars. But when I wanted money, oh, for lunch or for college... He would get angry about it, and he had a bad temper, much like Donald Trump does. So he quit wanting to ask about it. And then one day I say to him, I said, Dad, how about if I just get a loan? Then you don't have to pay the money. And this is what he told me. He says, oh, you'll never get a loan because I make too much money. You make too much money. You won't give me money for college, but I can't get a loan because you make too much money which wasn't true. I could have got a loan, but I'm a dumb fucking kid. I don't know, so I don't go to college after my first year. Now, during this time, I'm working a lot of part-time jobs at some of the radio stations in the Twin Cities. I'm doing all kinds of things, from sports stuff to talk show stuff to disc jockey stuff, and I decide I got to get the fuck out of here. I got to go someplace. I'm 19 years old. I got to go someplace. So I'm looking at one of the trade publications, and I see a job in Arizona. I go, fuck, that's perfect for me. I get the fuck out of the cold. You got the Old West. I'm kind of into that. I want this job. So I tell my dad. And I'll give my dad credit and my mom credit, too. It's probably more my mom than my father. But I got this job in northern Arizona in this little shitty town in the middle of fucking nowhere. Literally nowhere. I said, I want this job. So? He flew me, my mom, and him down to Arizona, drove up to northern Arizona, helped get me set up with a cheap car, a little 74 Vega, an apartment <laughs> that I couldn't get in until a month after I was there because of, there was no rooms available. So he sets me up there, and I appreciate that immensely, and I'm going to do this job in this little fucking town. What I find out about this town after the fact, it's all Mormon and Navajo. Now, these people were wonderful people to me, but I'm an urban kid, a Lutheran from Minneapolis. I didn't fit in in this fucking place. I had no idea what I was doing. My buddies were back home partying and drinking and getting fucking crazy. But I'm down there and getting a six-pack of beer from the, the Safeway. 
sitting in my living room on the one couch I have because somebody left it there, and I'm watching cable news. Now, remember, this is 7980, so cable was just starting. ESPN was on, but they didn't have good shit on. They had fucking handball and lacrosse and stuff. Now, I know there's people out there that like lacrosse, but back then nobody knew shit about lacrosse. So I'd be sitting there in my underwear watching it. And I've told you some stories in the past about my experiences in Arizona. I'll be honest with you. It was very much like a sitcom. It was fucking hilarious. And I won't take the time to tell you the stories here because I don't have the time. But uh, remind me. I'll tell you some of those stories. They were fucking crazy. I worked down there for a year, got sick of that shit, came home, got a shitty little job in a small town in um, southern Minnesota, but I was close enough where I could live at home with my folks. So I did that for a while, did some part-time stuff with some of the bigger stations in town with sports and shit. And then, then now I'm with my buddies. I'm going out to bars. And this is the turning point in my life. Because this is where I meet my wife. I always jokingly say I met my wife where all good relationships start. In a fucking bar. (laughs) My buddies and I go to a bar. I see her across the room. She's with a woman I know. So I think, this is cool. I can meet this chick. And I also see this older guy trying to hit on him. I go, this is fucking perfect. I'm young. I'm strong. I'm invincible. So I'm going to go over there, introduce myself through my friend who already knows her, and I'm going to get this old man the fuck out of there and be the hero, (laughs) which is exactly what I did. I met my wife. We started dating. It was kind of sporadic at first, but ultimately we hung out. I'm 21 years old. She's 21 years old. We're now 61 years old. We're still together. So that was a very pivotal moment in my life. Now, after that, I own a recording studio. And I'm doing radio commercials and that sort of thing. And then I branch out to music, which I had no business doing. But that got me into the music business. And again, there are a million stories of my time in the music business that I need to tell you if you have an interest. And they're fucking just as crazy as my time in Arizona. So I'm doing this, but I'm not really making any money. My wife had been going to school to be a teacher, but she quit that because we needed money. And she was doing some basic retail type job. So we're struggling for money. We're going to have a baby ultimately in 89 or 87. And uh, so she goes back to school to get her teaching degree so she can make a buck. I have this recording studio. I'm not making any money. Ultimately, I sell it. And at the moment I sell it, I get a call from the radio station, same radio station I went to in high school. And they say, hey, we're doing these traffic report deals and we need you to do the traffic reports. I go, I don't know shit about traffic reports. She said, well, there's cameras all over the system. Just do it like play-by-play of sports. Now, I didn't want to do this shit. That's nothing creative there. There's nothing I wanted to do. But I had a wife, I had a kid, and I needed money. And I didn't have any because I wasn't making any money from the recording studio. So I took the job. Ended up staying there 27 years in addition to doing other things. And here's the interesting thing. People ask me uh, about why I started doing this podcast. What a lot of people don't know, that back in 2006 is when the podcast first came out. The whole concept came out. And I saw that. I said, man, that's the future. That's where it's going. Nobody believed me. But it turns out I was right. It made sense. It wasn't that I was a genius. It just made some fucking sense. So I said, you know, I'm doing these traffic reports. It's tedious as fuck. I don't know why I'm doing it other than to make money so I can feed my kids and keep a house. But I got to have something creative. So when I saw this podcast thing, I said, this is perfect. I'm going to create some shows. I'd produced and created syndicated shows in my recording studio back in those days. So I knew how to put together a show. I'd been in radio since I was 15. So I figured I could do this. So I started doing podcasts. I created like four or five podcasts. I did one about a money show for average people as opposed to those people investing in the stock market. We called it the average Joe money show. I did it with a partner of mine and, uh, and uh, that went well. I did one. Now, this is pre when this become popular. I did one with some ghost hunters. That was fucking crazy. I uh, 
And I had one guy who listened to my podcast back then. This guy was certifiably nuts or scary. I don't know what it was. He called me up and he said he was a prophet of God and he wanted to do a podcast. And I thought to myself, well, that sounds scary, so let's fucking do it. And I did a podcast with this guy. It was called Prophet of God. And this guy was... (laughs) This guy was eerie, crazy, and I did probably about 40 shows with him. And uh, ultimately, I had to say, fuck this. I can't, I I just can't do this anymore. I just can't. It's too hard. You make me nervous. But it was intriguing. And I don't know if he was a prophet of God or not, but some crazy shit happened. Again, some more stories there. So... Anyway, we're going through life. I'm a uh, traffic announcer, which I don't want to be, but I have to do it. And I'm doing it on radio, so I sit on my ass all day and talk. And I thought, well, that's pretty easy money. I work for the school district because they own the radio station. I am a civil servant. I get benefits. I get a pension. I get all that stuff. So it worked out pretty well. My wife ends up being a teacher. Things come together. You raise the teenagers in a... In a uh, uh, a suburb, and things go pretty well. But the problem is when you're working like that and you've got so much stuff going on, we've all experienced it, you're juggling money back and forth just to survive, and it's very, very tough. Now, all this time I had ideas about politics, and for a while I guess you could say I was more conservative than liberal, but as I got older I saw the benefits of uh, the liberal side of things and saw the downside of the Republicans. You know, you live your life, you meet your neighbors, you go to parties, you have fun, and you do all this stuff. I always took my sons on trips every year. I wanted them to get some life experiences. We go to D.C., New York, San Francisco, San Antonio, Florida, whatever. Every year we took them someplace so that when they grew up, they could say, I've been to all these places, life experiences that kids don't normally get. And it paid off. It paid off very well. My kids grew up. They were smart. They did well in school. They were decent kids. And when it was over and when they finally left the house, I told my wife, I said, look, we fucking won. She said, what do you mean? I said, the biggest job we had is to raise those kids, keep them safe, and make them good people, and let them prosper on their own in the future. We've done that. We fucking won. And that one accomplishment is probably the most proud I am of what my wife and I did. We accomplished a very hard job, and we were successful at it. So... (laughs) So anyway, I go through my life with uh, the radio thing, and and I do what I do, and um, then I come to a point where I retire. And I've told you this story before. This, even though it was a station owned by the public schools, they ended up getting some young manager in there, and they started trying to push people out of the jobs because the older guys were making more money. I didn't think they'd do it to me because I was making them money, but... They did start to do it to me, and I got to a point where I was upset about it, and they kept calling me on the carpet for bullshit things. I'd been there for 27 years, never been called on the carpet before, and then now all of a sudden I am, and I can see the writing on the wall what they're going to do. So I'm sitting in a meeting, and I say, fuck you, I'm retiring right now. That take took them aback a little bit, (laughs) and I walked the fuck out, and I decided, "What, what am I going to do? Well, I had a side job, and the side job was just something I was doing on my own. I was dealing with wholesalers and liquidators who had truckloads of stuff, and I made plenty of contacts, had a partner in that, and then um, what I would do was pretty much broker these things. Somebody would call me and say, I got a truckload of uh, driver cars for little kids, and I need to sell them. I find somebody who would buy them, tack on a thousand bucks, twelve hundred bucks, or whatever my profit was, put the deal together, complete the deal, take my money, move on to the next thing. That's what I did for a long time after I got out of uh, the radio business. And then, as you know, later on, I uh, start doing some things on 
Facebook because I wanted to keep my chops up as far as talking and doing these sorts of things. And I did kind of what you hear now on Facebook in shorter segments. And that took off pretty well. A lot of people liked it. And of course, a lot of people hated me for it. Um, And then I got tired of that because it seemed pretty stagnant. Then I went on TikTok almost exactly a year ago, and that kind of took off even better. And I got excited about it. And then I come back full circle and I decide I want to have a podcast. Because remember, in 2006, when I was doing the podcast, I said, this is the future. And now I'm in the future. I realize I was right. I realize I can do a podcast. So that's what I'm going to fucking do. And that's where we are. As far as my politics, it just, you know, if you don't grow, if you don't evolve, you're not doing something right. I voted for Ronald Reagan in 1980 because I was 20 years old, didn't know what the fuck I was doing. In retrospect, I wouldn't have done that. Now, as I'm older, I have kids, I have grandkids, I'm older, I'm retired, I see things much differently. I, have, I think I have more common sense. So when I started on TikTok, I realized, what the fuck am I going to do? Everybody's doing all this cool, fun stuff. I can't do that. So I'm going to sit at my chair and just talk the way I talk and see what the fuck happens. And fortunately... It took off. I've got 100,000 followers on TikTok. I did TikTok mainly to gain followers so that I can transfer some over to the podcast and do what I really like, the podcast, because that's where I feel the most comfortable. I don't have a camera in my face, and I'm very accustomed of sitting in front of a microphone and talking to myself, technically. So that's where I'm at. Where I'm at. Grew up in South Minneapolis, live in the suburbs now. (laughs) Ever since I've been with my wife, I've lived in the suburbs. She's a suburban girl, and she says, we're living in the suburbs. Well, that's what the fuck we're going to do. So anyway, I'm running real long, and that is a compacted version of my life from birth to now. There's a lot more of the stories. There's a lot of crazy shit that's gone on. I can talk about them for days. It kind of takes away from the whole point of the podcast, so I don't normally do it. But if you want to hear more about it, I'm happy to tell you. I want to thank you for being patient with me on this second half. I'm going long, and I'm talking about shit you don't normally hear. So uh, I apologize if you're bored with it. If I answered some questions, I'm glad I did that. And we're going to wrap things up right now. And, of course, we'll be back tomorrow. So have a great day, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.